Vibe Machine Hi, and welcome to this series of Undercovers Podcast. My name is Josh Kiff, and I love album artwork. And this series is all about the designers and artists behind some of the best album artwork ever created. Tim Stedman is our focus over the next few episodes, who quite literally fell into the music industry and ended up creating album covers and designs for many of the biggest acts on the planet, and many of the most iconic as well. If you are listening to this podcast series on iTunes or something similar, please give this episode a shout out, give it a review, it would mean a whole lot to me and I'd really appreciate it. And please check out our other episodes in the series, I'm sure there are albums out there that you absolutely love that we've spoken to the artist behind. We begin our discussion with Tim's early beginnings, finding out how he worked around LA, building himself up in the music industry, working with Virgin Records, and then right up to the Vice President of Design at MCA. Vibe. Machine. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing pretty good, Josh. How are you? I am very well, sir. Very well. I'm, I'm really happy that we have the opportunity to talk as I, as I'm sure so many of the people that will be listening to this, have owned and still own a considerable amount of your design artwork history. From one of the first albums that my parents ever bought me was Roy Orbison's um, album that you did. Mystery Girl. Anything at all, you got it. But you've done, you know, the big O to Devo. Ice Tea to Live. The Pulp Fiction soundtrack, almost 30 years of Lyle Lovett album art. If I had a boat, I'd go out on the ocean. And if I had a pony, I'd ride on my boat. And we could all. You found glory to Phoenix TX, the Ramones to Blink 182. I, I think I should stop there as that list will just keep going and going and going. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> make me sound pretty old there. but before we jump into all of these amazing artists and albums would you mind filling me in and it's a question i ask everyone on on this series is how you got started in art and how that led to i guess you getting into the music industry and ending up as the vp of um the creative director at mca uh yeah i guess fantastical ride there (laughs) but um (laughs) i uh i Grew up mostly between um, Illinois and Houston, so the for the early years in Illinois, and then um, and then sort of my latter years of high school and art school in Houston, which is not really a place where there's the music industry. <laughs> but not <laughs> too long after I got out of school in Houston, I decided to move to LA, and you know, you don't even really know that that's an occupation. I mean, you sort of do know mm. that somebody makes album covers or something, but uh, <laughs> in terms of a kid doing design, I just didn't really have my head wrapped around it like that could actually be a job. Um, but when you get to LA, you find out that there are people <laughs> doing that. And, you know, I think I just, you know, met some great people at the right time is probably really how it happened. 
Uh, and it probably started with a guy named Mac James, who I met, who freelanced at a small agency in Beverly Hills. I was working at like a advertising agency that did fashion stuff. Mm. <clears throat> but Mac had done music or had done work in music and in entertainment, but music specifically. And I was pretty fascinated when I found out about that. We became sort of quick friends. And, uh, you know, like youth is a good thing because you're so young, you don't even know like what should be scary ideas. Cause I think <laughs> I was probably like 23 or something when I met Mac and he was probably like 28 or 29 or something. And, uh, but the, the easiest way to sort of describe Mac is his handwriting is the thriller logo, which was pretty no, funny. I- and it made sense to me when he told me that because we were, uh, you know, we were sort of sitting around this agency and I knew his handwriting, you know, because uh, we would yeah. often write things out. Sometimes he would use that to do, you know, like a logo work or something. And it's every time I look at it, it's so clearly Max handwriting. But, you know, as like <laughs> a 23 year old guy who'd shown up in L.A., you know, within like the last year or something, it was all pretty, uh, like I said, fantastical. Well, Mac uh, called me. Yeah, this is probably totally something I shouldn't tell, but, you know, we had the same weed lady. So Mac Mac would, would, you know, uh, pick up weed from uh, Maya, the weed lady off of Melrose near where he lived. And that was also what continued our friendship because he only um, freelanced for a little bit there at a place called Metro Advertising. Cool. Anyways, he called me one day at Metro and he said, you know, a friend of mine wants to start a company. And that friend was a guy named Darius Anthony who was a photographer. Um, and he said, I told him, you know, the only way I'll do this is if you'll quit that crap job you have there at Metro and, you know, sort of start this company with us. And like I said, that should be like, wait, I don't even know who this other person is. (laughs) There should be a lot of questions that one would have, but when you're 23 and you know, you've met this guy who's really connected and seems kind of great and really was like a huge inspiration for me. Anyways, uh, I said, yes. I think my burning question was, can I make the logo? And he said, sure. <laughs> and I actually made the logo and I, and I named it. We were, we were called Public Eye. Cool. And so we started a sort of small, you know, boutique little place doing entertainment stuff and not doing records initially. I really wanted to do records, but Mac's whole thing was he really was a painter and mostly just wanted to be a painter. He just was... He's kind of like a renaissance dude with this stuff. He could he could do anything, which is why he was kind of really inspirational to me. You know, he could paint, take a photograph. And he instilled this idea in me that, like, if you're an artist, really, you know, anything you apply, like, your energy toward, you will just sort of bring all that to bear on what you're doing. And that sounds like a simple idea, but I had never really wrapped my head around that. So, you know, you think of it sort of more limited, like, oh, I'm a designer, I'm a this, or I'm a that. Hmm. But Matt kind of blew that open for me. Anyways, before I wander too far down that thing, it really kind of started with that because, you know, Mac was kind of inspiration on this idea and sort of showed mm-hmm. me that this could be as a as a company. Oh, and this will this has a big music tie in too. I don't know if you're familiar with a really famous rock photographer from the 70s, which is Norman Seif. Norman Seif was how Darius and Mac knew each other. Because I thought it Darius, might have been the weed lady. I, I was convinced it was the weed lady, but <laughs> no, no, it's not the weed lady. <laughs> Although I think Darius probably had his own own source for that, and this this was part of our working strategy. 
Anyways, sorry, I interrupted um, you there. Uh, yeah, I know. I probably should tell some of these stories. Um, anyways, Darius assisted Norman Steve. So I think that was Darius's kind of entree to photography because Darius was a photographer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not really sure why Mac was in the picture there. I mean, Mac was a music designer and Norman Seif, as well as being this like this huge photographer, he wasn't he was an art director also. He was now a South African guy who was actually trained as a surgeon. I mean, his story is incredible, um, but moved to the U- U.S. to really like follow rock and roll and music and stuff in the early 70s or late 60s, I think. Anyways, the point of the story is at that point, Norman was directing commercials with a guy named uh, Richard Marlis. So they had a company just above Sunset, like at the west end of the strip on mm-hmm. Corey Avenue. And they worked out of two residential houses. So I guess they rented these two houses and that's where Marlis Seif Productions was. And uh, I guess Darius asked them, I don't really know, but somehow... Basically, Norman and those guys gave us office space, which was really just a garage apartment. So we worked um, in like half of a garage apartment downstairs um, in Norman's below where Norman Steve's um, sort of archivist was. It was this guy named Bob who managed all of the photography stuff because, cool. yeah, his work expanded really a long time. Mm. And I would sit in this office and, you know, this is pre-computers. So, you know, we bought a couple of art desks. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of space in there. It had a nice little patio off it where we could hang out in this beautiful backyard. Like I said, literally like three blocks from the Roxy and maybe five blocks no, from the Whiskey Go-Go. No, I mean, I... it is kind of like a crazy rock and roll story. Yeah, yeah. For free, you know, like, yeah, okay, yeah. you guys just start up your little business. <laughs> and... um so we mostly tried to do enter- entertainment stuff and film stuff at the time because Mac really was connected with lots of people. Mm. And he was connected with a woman named Lucia Ludovico, who was um, who was like in charge of creative over Paramount Pictures. So we wow. were doing, you know, like, yeah, we'd sort of get, um, uh, you know, jobs to do kind of like initial ideas for different film things. We actually got to work on... Um, a cool job was stuff for uh, the YouTube film Rattle and Hum. They didn't they didn't go with any of our work, um, and you know we didn't really get finishes on a lot of these early film posters. But for you know first stage ideas, we were kind mm. of unique as a small little. And when I say small, it really was mostly like Mac and I in terms of doing design. In that case, um, Darius shot a few pictures for some of these you know comp layouts that we did. But that was a cool job we did. Um, but that's, that is, so it's kind of started there as like a group. We made it like a year, a year and a half. We were doing fine. You know I mean? We were making enough money for the three of us to survive on. I mean, luckily we're pretty modest guys. We certainly weren't making a, a ton of money, you know, but LA's not mm. cheap and it was enough that the three of us got by, got by. Mm. And I'm not sure if it was like Mac that sort of came to realization, but, uh, you know, at a certain point, he was like, we're really all heading in different directions. Um, Darius wasn't really getting a ton of photography work. It was kind of hard for us to stir that up. So, you know, most of the money we made was off design stuff that Mac and I were doing. Mac wouldn't work on the weekends. This whole thing was, you know, we were doing this job so we could make enough money during the week so that he could paint all weekend. Because he was really right. clear, like, I'm a painter. I want to be a painter. And I was like a young kid, like super 
anxious. So he was probably smart finding me because it was all just like, yeah, yeah. I'd work all night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was all like, this is great. <laughs> you know, I'll go make 10 of these. And he knew all these music people. Um, but his thing was music. He didn't feel like music paid enough for us to make for the work we would put in to make enough to keep us going. Right. So um, he said, I think, you know, we should maybe come apart as a group and, you know, Tim, you're you're really the one who's kind of into this, you know, like we are a little design firm. You should just go forward with this if you want to. So, I mean, that sounds like something that wouldn't but it was really friendly like that. You mm. know, we were just mm. friendly guys. And Darius Darius went on looking for, you know, freelance photography gigs to support himself and his family. He had like a couple mm. of kids. He might have three kids at, at that point. But I needed a place to work because I wasn't the guy who knew. Norman Seif, you know, and we hmm. were at an office. So Mac took a painting studio in like an artist loft building um, near MacArthur Park, which is also where the original Otis Parsons yes. um, school was, um, which is a, and, and, you know, this is a, a scary time. So it's not as fixed up as it is now. It's a little bit better now because there's a metro station there and stuff. But, you know, it was basically like crack zone and prostitute zone. And it was on the south side of the park on Grandview Avenue. So Mac takes a painting studio there. And I was like, shit, I need a place to work. And he was like my big brother, you know I mean? He really yeah, was yeah. the guy who guided me through all this stuff. So I took a studio in that same building, literally next door to him. <laughs> and with no real way, you know, for sure to pay for all this, because I also was paying for an apartment, uh, well, a guest house I was living in up in Beverly Glen Canyon. But anyways, I did that, and he said, okay, so you want to do records. Now I'll introduce you to a few people that you need to meet. And the most important person he introduced me to that really started it all was Melanie Nissen. So when I met her, she was at A&M at the time, but she was on her way out um, because Virgin Records, I think they were just, just launching or something. So Jordan Harris and Jeff Aroff, uh, and Jeff Aroff had been at Warner Brothers uh as a as a creative actually anyways they started virgin america and so she moved to that job and that's where my first projects came from yeah so that's where you know we want to talk about bob mold and stuff and that that hmm. was that was from those very very early days but um i met with her over at virgin and had a little meeting and before i could even like get back to my studio space and this really was was literally like in that transition of public eye sort of coming out of being the three of us and it just being me because i think maybe in that meeting i was still up at the office on corey but about to move to the studio downtown mm. the first project she gave me was this band called eu it was a go-go band out of uh washington dc so it was like nine guys i mean it was the most unideal project to design <laughs> on like Nine guys, not like, you know, real lookers or anything. Um, uh, a, a shoot had been done by this guy, Jeffrey Scales, um, who shot a lot of, he got a lot of projects like Darius did. They were, I think they were actually friends, but, you know, kind of complicated, not exactly your ideal thing. Mm. And she's, but, but anyways, I was like really happy to have a record and, you know, went back and went at it. And I think I made like, 10 comps or something you know we would hand build these things back then like i said this is mm. a computer so it's a lot of xerox machine a lot of ordering some type onto transparencies and blowing up pictures 
Anyways, I came in for that meeting with like 10 of these things. And she was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We've got we've got the album package and all the singles or whatever right here. The record oh, wow. didn't go anywhere. Cool. But her her thing was like, oh, my God, kid, you know, you just <laughs> you did the whole campaign right here. They're related. And it was shortly after that that she gave me um, Roy Orbison's Mystery Girl and then also um, the Bob Mould record. But that's how it started. I mean, that's like so literally cool. how I turned into a guy that does music stuff that is incredible and once again i mean i love the stories i love everyone's story i love your story i love what's the weed lady's name because she owes everyone a great debt of uh it was we maya. Maya, maya maya actually <laughs> we owe, we owe her a debt of gratitude she's probably fed the music industry in la <laughs> who knows luckily she just lived close to where max apartment was on there you on go avenue <laughs> there you go <laughs> But it is, it's incredible how you sort of, and a lot of the people, a lot of the artists have, and designers have explained, they've sort of fallen into album art because like you said, it's not something that you go to art school and you say, I'm going to be an album designer. It's not, that's just doesn't I mean, I think people. I think people do, but I think probably the people that imagine that it doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. So it is, <laughs> it is like that. And it, and it does end up being, it's a pretty tight little world you know it is um, it is i mean I'm it's totally changed that. now so it like it isn't what it was i mean i have to say like it was a it was a real heyday when i walked into that you know <laughs> a pretty incredible heyday as well and as you'll be hearing in the next episode of this series we begin delving into bob mold's iconic workbook album roy orbison's final album completed whilst he was still alive mystery girl and even jimmy barnes two fires album artwork so many great stories to come so please make sure you check out the next episode in Tim Stedman's series of Undercovers. Vibe. Machine.